So, again, 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 welcome. This is another episode of Checkpoint 6, where we're talking to veterans about um what happened to them uh, during and when they come home from war. And I'm here with a buddy of mine that I know personally. <laughs> I'll let him... Uh, Introduce himself. Go ahead and introduce yourself, man. Yeah, I'm Rob Grant, stationed in Freeburg, Germany, along with Adams. Okay. And, you know, and most of Checkpoint 6, if not all of it. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was a 63 Bravo, but I was also mixed in. I was the uh, Scouts mechanic, so I was mixing with the Scouts. So, uh, you say your MOS is 63 Bravo? Light wheel mechanic, yeah. Right, so light wheel mechanic. Yeah, because yeah, we got to explain what it is for some people right. who's listening and they don't know what that hey, is. Hey, 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 you might as well made Adams a light woman, can <laughs> I had to call Sarah Henry in a minute. <laughs> hey, man. Listen, we had, to him too. <laughs> we had some all right times. All right times in Freebird. Yeah. And, uh, well, you know, we deployed. Yeah. We went down range, what, 2003 to 2004, right? Yeah, we deployed May 11th to 2003. We came back uh, right after my birthday in 2004. Okay. Yeah. Because I remember, uh, we were already back in, uh, what's it called? Arab John, what you mean? Trash can. Yeah. We was just trying. Okay. Yeah, so. Because we was was back at, what, Arab John or something like that? Right. Right After my birthday, because Sergeant Ivory got me. It was like me, Sergeant Henry, Sergeant Ivory. Fernandez, a couple other people sitting on the concept. We got done cleaning the record or whatever. I cleaned the record and I cleaned um, Chief's truck. That's okay. when, yeah. So, so I had both of them. So what I want to ask, I'll just ask a couple questions about how things went. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm here. Because we went down and we deployed together. So, like you said, you was a light wheel mechanic, right? Yeah. So when you got deployed and you got to Iraq, how much light wheel mechanic stuff did you actually do? <laughs> well, I mean, I did do a lot, though. I did do a right, lot. But, right. but, 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 you know what I'm saying? That's why everybody was like, man, this, after, like, you know, a couple people, after once I got my bearing and everything, they were like, damn, Grant's one of the best fucking mechanics. Like, uh, Spalding right. put up this journey on, on, on a Facebook page on one of the groups. It's this Humvee that's blown apart, right? It's right. like, yo, you give Grant... An NBC glove, some duct tape, some zip strips, and some metal. He'll put that bitch back together. It looks like it got run over by a damn tank. Right. <laughs> you know, that's the scalpel too. They so, love me. You know what I mean? Right. You know, so, like, we got blown up together. We got in a firefight together. All that kind of good shit. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So, but, like, actually, I did a lot of lightweight mechanic shit. But remember when we went down for Ronnie's funeral? Right. Remember, they had to ask what my MOS was. Exactly. Yeah. So, now, because, <laughs> like, I want people to get a broad picture, man, like, you was a light wheel mechanic, but you didn't really stay there because, you know, it wasn't really, even though it was a lot of work to be done, we still had missions of going outside the gate. You oh, had guard like, duty. Well, I, had the, I had, was a record driver, too, so no matter what, I had to right. go, no matter what. So, boom, you was a record driver. Yeah. Now, as a record driver, oh, that was treacherous. tell them, I want people to understand what that means when you're in Iraq. Like, right. you have to go out the gate when somebody's truck is disabled. Yeah. Say, 
via IED yeah. or firefight, something like that. Whatever it is. Yeah, and that, there's a lot of that. So, like, explain to, explain to us what it is when you pull up on scene I after, think, like, a IED or something hit a truck. Oh, uh, that's just usually, it's, it's usually mass panic. You know what I mean? Like you, they get the situation calmed down, but at the same token, you're thinking, man, we're about to get an ambush too, because they're gonna try it. Once they once they hit that truck, they're like, look, wait, they're waiting for somebody like me to show up, so mm-hmm. they're thinking I'm a soft target. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you gotta go up, you know, ready. Like when um the scouts got ambushed, I I, I actually wasn't with them because I was working on starting Mindy's Humvee, I think. Right. And um that was the day when Larson got killed. Okay. And so we loaded up to go ahead and head out there because we knew what was going on we are we knew it was it was they already got ambushed we knew it was a certain so, ambush so you know you just you go in just preparing like look i'm gonna get shot at matter of fact for the first time i actually got shot at in iraq right first one that actually came close to my dome right right went over to 136 to help him with a bravo company tank now if you remember how 136 is it was a tank that was right in front for like the guard duty you know what i mean when they you first right. come in then the porta potty's behind that right so i'm on the, i'm in my gondola Boom, hook up to it. We realized one of the bolts, no, somebody missed one of the bolts on the uh, back deck. Cool, easy enough. So, uh, I forget who it was, like Gonzalez or somebody, Gonzalez Gomez, somebody like that, hopped up there. Right. All you hear was da da da, bink! That bitch hit right off my boom, right above my head. Hey, bro, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, I said, all this shit for real. <laughs> this is hey. before any ID. This is like, I just got on the record. I'd only been like, Two weeks. It's like my first record mission ever. You know what I'm saying? Uh, man, I rolled out of the gondola into the back. You know, those two poles, the toe, toe poles. I hit my head on that joint, lost my Kevlar. Hey, M16 fell on the other side of the damn thing. And I was like, man, what the hell? And they're just firing pop shots at us from so, the buildings across. So my, my question about some of this was... You brought up a point about Larson when Larson got killed, right? Yeah. Now, I wasn't there either. I was out on a different mission somewhere else. And uh, I heard about the ambush, which they had a lot of folks. I heard it was uh, close to like 200 insurgents. And it was firefight all around. Yeah, what was it? Only about, what, it was like four Hummers? Four Scout Hummers? It, 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 it was... Four scout Humvees. Uh-huh. Um, they had three uh, like the buses of the I uh, uh, the, the, the Iraqi soldiers, yeah, right? the ICDC soldiers, right? Right. And so the problem was, like they told us, they were like, "Look, these motherfuckers were actually just spraying all different directions. They were shooting at the people that were actually shooting at them. Only some of them were. The other ones were just doing whatever. Some of these motherfuckers stopping or smoking cigarettes what? and shit like that. They were shooting in the wrong direction. And so, then, but they, they also the thing was. If you don't get away from that door, bro. Um, <laughs> but um, mm. the other thing was, they were like, look, that means that route got compromised because nobody should have known that route. Right. So somebody had to have a cell phone while they're on that route and be like, hey, we're going to be here. Well, I mean, what I'm trying to get to is when, um, when that soldier passed. Yeah. All right. Or that soldier... Um, yeah, yeah, when 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 that soldier got into that and he passed, I mean like, he was a mechanic as well. No, nah, Larson was one of the scouts. He was a he was a gunner. And you knew him well. Yeah. 
you say you knew him well? Yeah, man. Me and him so, basically got to Germany almost at the same time. So, like, when that happened, how did you? How did that make you feel? Oh, uh, bro, I was crushed. It was almost it was almost as bad as like when when Spanky got killed and and Carvalho. You know what I mean? Like, that was my, that was one of my homies. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Like he got to, he got to Germany a little bit before I did. So when when I got to Germany, I think y'all were in Homesfels, either Graf or Homesfels. When I got there in '03, because I got there in February. Me and Fernandez got there at the same time. Mm-hmm. And there was nobody there, so it was Rear D. And Sergeant Ivory was the one that helped me in process and stuff like that. People started thinking we were brothers. But, um, yeah, Larson, and then he got to the unit. Larson, Clawson, and what was the other mortar? But basically, we, like, we were like a week or two behind each other. You know what I'm saying? Like, all yeah. of us. So, so um, we, we all hung out together because, like, you know... They told me, they, they used to, I used to go down, cause my first room was on the third floor. I didn't initially end up with the mechanics at first. So I ended up, that's how I ended up making Spanky, Horvath, all them. Because I was right there where all the staff people were. And then they sent me down to the scout floor, <laughs> scout and water floor. Right. And then they were like, no, wait, you're not supposed to be here either. I'm like, do you guys even understand what my job is? Apparently right. nobody did at first. <laughs> and then they're like, "Oh, you go to the motor pool." I'm like, yeah. So, right. <laughs> so, um, so it was a long fifteen months in the desert, yeah. right? You know, various things was done, certain things was seen. I mean, certain things was to the point where it altered, like your life altogether, right? So it like, altered life same. altogether, right? Yeah. So. When you came back, what were some of the things you noticed about yourself that changed? Okay, first thing. So when I was getting out, and Sir Henry was so right about this. He was like, Grant, you're going to be back in like a year. He was like, I guarantee you, you, ain't gonna, you, you might make it a year. He was like, before you're back in the military. He was like, you ain't going to be able to deal with civilians well. So you got out? Yeah, when I got out, when I left Germany. And he was about right. Because I got out and I became a bartender at uh, Bennigan's. But I came out a madman, you know what I'm saying? Because like compared to everybody else, nobody else had that kind of testosterone level or level, you know what I mean? Like nobody was just like, I got to put it as aggressive as me. You right. know what I mean? Which I thought was normal because I'm around all y'all fuckers. So let, me, so let me ask you a question. When you got out, did you go to the VA or did you get any type of counseling? Mm-mm. I went to the VA because my parents made me go like the first like month I was out and then we put in my VA claim, which they lost. And, um, but they, I had never got any counseling. There was nothing. They were just like, see later, buddy. They didn't tell me about filing for any kind of disability, nothing. They were just like, all right, here you go. So then finally my, my mom's, like my uncle is Air Force, was Air Force, he's retired. He went to Iraq after we came back from Iraq. So he told my mom, like, hey, look, you need to get him to do this, this, and this. So I hit, we hit the VA. They still didn't give me any counseling. They were like, you need to go talk to somebody. I'm like, all right. So they, they're, I sat there and talked to the dude. He was like, well, yeah, you, you got some sign, You got some serious aggression and stuff like that, blah, blah. And he was like, well, look. That's when they put me on the medication, which was, I stopped taking that almost instantly. Mm-hmm. And then I went, after like a year being out, I went back in. To, I went to Fort Huachuca. So, so, right, right so let me ask. Let me let me stop you right there. Uh, 
why'd you go back in? Was it too hard to adjust to the outside life or? Yeah, I didn't really want to. Like I was like, I was, I liked being in the army. I didn't realize how much I liked it until I got out. Right. You know what I mean? And then I was like, damn. Like, okay, me as a bartender, like you got, you got service and stuff like that. And I'm used to command. Like, you know, me, I was a squad leader, two different squads. Right. I could be like, hey, need y'all to go do this. Right. right. So people went and did it. So you know my thing is. That was different as a civilian. Motherfuckers had an option. You know what I mean? Like, they don't have to be. Right. They can quit that job. And that's some frustrating shit. I can't, I, I can't deal with that. And even to this day right now, it drives me nuts if I'm like, hey, look, so basically, all right, my new job, they already want to put me as a lead technician, right? Because I have experience. I'm not stupid. I know what I'm doing. But you got people that are just kind of there for a paycheck instead of there to actually get the job done. You know what I mean? I'm like, hey, okay. so, so like our lead tech will be like, hey, Rob, I need this, this, and this done. All right, cool. So I'll go try and tell somebody, like, like we're working together. It's mostly the older guys that drive me nuts. I'm like, hey, this is what we got to do right now. It's actually just one older guy. And he's, like, 63 years old, so I can't really tell him shit. You know what I mean? Like, he's almost about to retire. But I'm like, hey, so this is what we got to do. And instead of him just going on and doing it, like, oh, why are you doing this this way? Why are you doing that? You should do it that way. No. <laughs> like, just let's just get this done. So don't I'll take you, care of this, and you go do that. So don't you think because... Because you're ex-military, you have a, um, I wouldn't say a wiser, a wiser understanding, but you have a more drive to get the job done. You're more mission-oriented. You want to do, you want to get it done fast and get it out the way. So, because that's how you was taught. One three seven wasn't no, wasn't no joke. It wasn't no pushover. So it was, it was all hey. Get it done. Let's go. That's it. Yeah. Right. That's the so problem. The, the problem I had. The guy was ex-military. He was actually stationed in Germany too. But that was back in like the eighties. He so, lost all that. But that's what I'm saying. So now, um, you're struggling because you have a certain way of doing things and. Civilians have certain way of doing things, mm-hmm. but it's not your pace. No. And this is not your fault because this is how you were trained. Yeah, I don't. I hate to procrastinate. If I know so, I have to do something, I, I want to hurry up and get it done. So let me ask you now. How long you been out? You got out a second time. Yeah. Third time. A third time. So wait, you got out? Yeah, I went, went back I went, in again? I got out the first time, went to the reserves, got out of the reserves, went back on active duty. Uh-huh. And then, because reserves was a joke, I'm not going to lie. That shit was a straight up joke. Right. <laughs> like, I showed up to drill a couple times. Half the time, I didn't even know when it was. You oh. know what I mean? Like, you know, drill was Saturday mornings. Okay. And I'd find out, they'd call me, like, like, it was supposed to be, like, the third weekend of every month. That's how it was supposed to be set up. Yeah, but for but... some reason, like, it, it wouldn't be. Sometimes it would be, like, the second. Sometimes it would be the last weekend. And it was like, well, I can't keep it. I, y'all keep changing this up. I got I have a regular work schedule. So that's why I was like, yeah, I'm done with this. I'm done with being a civilian. Went back in. And um, then after that, like, when I first got out, that, that last time of getting out was a struggle. So, like, real bad. So my thing is, how long you been out now? Since 07. Since 07. Do you still, do you uh, get help from the VA now? Now that you know about them? Well, I mean... I've had medical for the entire time. Okay. So I'm service connected. 
But it's service connected medical. Yeah, service connected medical. Mm-hmm. So the only thing I actually have to worry about is dental. That's the only thing they didn't give me yet. I had it at first, but I didn't have any need for it, so I didn't reapply to it. Through the uh, what's it through the uh, Tricare drink. So. So do you get uh? So I don't get any disability. I'm still waiting on that for my claim from what? When did you say? When I tell you I filed it last time, like 2019, mm-hmm. we went down for Ronnie's funeral and I reapply, reapply that drink. Mm-hmm. And then remember last year I was supposed to go for uh when COVID hit I was supposed to go for my last psyche valve. They pushed that. I don't even know. They didn't even tell me when I when I can come back for it. That's how bad it is. They were like the DCVA. I was supposed to go to Locker even in Baltimore. And they switched me to DC. Back to DC since I'm, I'm right in between DC and Baltimore. And then um, and that's my thing. Like and you've been out since '07 and you still ain't getting yeah, no, no rating. care, no rating. Okay. Nothing. Yeah, man. Oh, I, I, did, I did get, I used the post 11 GI Bill, but that doesn't really count from the VA. That ain't. Yeah, it's a, it's a bunch of us in the same boat because I'm trying to figure out what, what do you, what do you think about the VA system and if, if, if there's something wrong with it, what do you think some of the fixes can be? Honestly, to tell you the truth, I would really actually prefer there be actual more veterans working in the VA. Because who's going to care as much about a, a vet as another vet? You know what I mean? Because a lot of these motherfuckers are some garbage. Like the guy that kicked me back in like 2015, right? He was like, oh, well, I see you self-medicate, so I don't see any signs of PTSD. Bro, that is a number one red flag. If I tell you I have to drink myself to sleep, I don't have to really anymore. But if I have to drink myself to sleep, okay. then uh, that means so, I have insomnia. There's, 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 so you was, you was having some alcohol problems, alcohol yeah. issues. Yeah. I wouldn't okay. even call it issues. That's, I, I, don't, I don't smoke. I don't smoke weed. Right. You know what I'm saying? I don't t- like taking any medication. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I tried taking melatonin a couple times, but it just kept giving me these fucked up dreams. Okay. So, which would scare, right. it'd scare me out of my sleep anyway. Okay, so then you drink. I yeah. mean, you drink, but if you if you have to tell the psych doctor that you got to drink to go to sleep, yeah, like you know, think that's a like, problem, right? That's a, that's a massive problem. So, what do you think we could do to get the VA to pay more attention? You know, man, I've been wondering that for a long time. But like I just said, I think if you had more vets working for the VA. Then mm-hmm. these like private people, you know, what I mean, people that never served a minute in their life, okay. you know, there'd be more understanding of okay, yo, I understand. Okay, I can see this. I know I got a couple buddies. They might not have gone through the same thing, but they're like, I got a couple buddies that are just like this motherfucker, right? And I already know where this is going. So let me go ahead and get the, this cat the help they need. The dude told me like after that, that that interview with that psych doctor, he got fired anyway because he misdiagnosed a bunch of people. But um, he was like, well, hey, good luck with your endeavors. He said, like, you can appeal this. He was like, but more than likely, they're just going to tell you the same thing I told you. I was like, okay, that's that's kind of harsh. That's like, for real, bro? So he was <laughs> like, you're fine with me basically. Uh, I was in school at the time. I was going. I was still going to Lincoln Tech. I'm like, so you okay with me being a borderline alcoholic? You don't see anything wrong with that. You you, you don't see anything wrong with that, especially at my age. You know what I'm saying? And I was you 32. Was at the time, 32? Yeah, I was 32. Okay. So, so that's a big red flag. So now, um we're we're trying 
And when I say we, I'm talking about us here at uh, Checkpoint 6. We're trying to uh, get the VA to switch from an opioid-based uh, mm-hmm. treatment to cannabis. more cannabis-based treatment. And also, we want to change the way the care system works because we want to get rid of the 22-a-day stigma. Mm-hmm. Right? It's so, a 22 kill ring. Right. So... We gotta, we gotta do something. And the last time I seen you, we was at a funeral. We was burying one of our buddies, mm-hmm. and um, you know, he was a war hero himself. Right. Right. So, I want to stop meeting up at funerals because it no. seemed to me that that's the only time we meet up is yeah. at funerals. No, you boy. know. Do so, when we go to uh, the reunion, I was like. Uh, this year in Vegas and I was like well that's a funny thing cause there's gonna be like barely any bandits I deployed with there but see this the thing right and I wanna reach out to some of the other bandits and uh and get them to come forward and tell their story as well mm-hmm. and let's see what what can happen man cause um I believe that we got shafted because we went over there and like any other unit, you can get an ARCOM when you PTS, when you PCS, Mm -hmm. you see what I'm saying? So why is it we only got an ARCOM for all the work that we did in the desert? Yeah, because I got, what did I get? I think my class days are back at folks house. None of us, none of us got, I got, I got our comms with Valor's devices got, on them. No, I got a, I got a, I got the Oakleaf cluster. And damn, I had to run back through it. But remember, we got the presidential award. We got to, the presidential unit citation. unit citation. That is not an individual award. Yeah. That, that, that was given to the whole the unit. unit. Yeah. Right. But so, no, 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 the crazy thing is like, yo, remember, uh, what was that dude's name? He looked, it was a captain. But he looked like um, Drew Carey, and somehow gave himself like a, 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 a silver star, bronze star, something crazy. Do you remember that during that? And everybody like lost their mind. Like yo, the dude never left well, the post except for to go to uh, biop. A lot of guys. He was the one that wrote the rewards. That's what really, really blew me. Like it was like so. You let the guy that writes the rewards write I himself mean, up for something like that. That that that's when I lost all faith in that. I was like, okay, never mind. Yeah. So. Um... Like I said, man, we're just trying to change what it is now. And uh, thanks for coming up here and stating your peace. No doubt. And <sighs> that's a wrap, man. I'll Peace. I'll let you. Peace. I appreciate you, man. No doubt. What up, what up, what up? This your boy, Broku, the great one, again here. On Checkpoint 6, a podcast brought to you in part by Anchor. Uh, You could catch us on Spotify. You could catch us on Apple Music. I mean, we're almost everywhere right now. You know what I'm saying? So just tune in. So today, I want to speak about the numbers, right? And when I say the numbers, I want to talk about that uh, 
22 a day, supposedly. That number, you know, that infamous number. So now when they say 22 a day for you guys who are listening, uh, 22 a day is meaning um, veterans that commit suicide daily. So they're estimating that it's 22 veterans a day that commit suicide. But today I just don't want to focus on those guys, even though they're a part of the main. But what I had failed to realize, and it didn't hit me till the other day because it just happened, <clears throat> is um, what about veterans that get killed or murdered? When they come home, how are they counted? You know, they're important too. So I just want everybody to pay attention to that too, man. They're a part of the numbers. They're a part of the equation, you know. And um, back to that 22 a day, <clears throat> what I want to try to do or attempt to do is Dig into why you would get such a number. Let's see, and we all know what plays a part of it, right? Uh, you have TBI, which is traumatic brain injury, okay? And TBI, best explained, it's run close together with post-traumatic stress disorder, all right, PTSD, they run hand in hand. Something traumatic, something traumatic uh, happened, right? So when you say something traumatic happened, something traumatic happened, uh, you would say, okay, um, this guy's seen combat, you know? Or uh Let's say in a female's case, she was sexually molested, you know, um, you know, things like that. That's that's trauma. OK, that's trauma. So um, those help with the number. Right. Because a lot of people can't deal with that trauma or they don't know how to deal with that trauma and they face things alone and. The resources that we have, most resources just point us towards something else that really don't help us. It just makes it worse. Okay, so um, what, what I like, and I'm just speaking about me personally, and me personally, I self-medicate. I use cannabis. Yes, I do. And um, to me, it has helped me more than the opioids. Okay? Let me digress. Let me not take away from my point. So we're going back to the 22 a day, right? So now you have to think all the contributions to this 22 a day, like I said, 
TBI, traumatic brain injury, right? PTSD, all right? Uh, Post-traumatic stress disorder, right? Then you have depression, right? Depression, that sunken place. Ooh, nobody likes depression, okay? Nobody. And you got anxiety. Now, anxiety, um, that I believe spans from all the stuff that you've done, but you've compressed it. You, 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 you've bottled, bottled it up, and that bottle is so tight, and now it's so full that it wants to pop, but you're still fighting it, right? So that's where your anxiety is. You want to pop, but you're fighting it, all right? So you need to learn how to release, but you can release that bottle bit by bit, bit by bit, bit by bit, Instead of one big explosion, okay? So, excuse me. So, what I think um, all of those things contribute to that number because you have that soldier that comes home and a lot of people don't know how to deal with him or her, right? She's standoffish. She doesn't smile much. It's much more of a serious face. That's how we that's how we walk around with a serious face, not really smiling all the time. Or the ones of us who could play it off really well and we smile a lot and joke a lot. Alright? But we're all dealing with things that need to be dealt with. Because it could lead to that number. Right? We don't want to be a part of that number. That's why I'm talking on this podcast so you guys can understand that talking is good. You can reach out. Uh, we have the number there you can call. It's one eight three three O N Y O U R and number six. Because we are always on your six here at Checkpoint Six, here to help you guys out if you need to talk it out. Please reach out. All right. We're here on on Facebook at Checkpoint 6. We're here. We got our Checkpoint6.org, which you guys can also uh, donate to keep this podcast on because, you know, uh, this is all on a dream right now. and We're trying to get bigger. Right. So, again, back to what we're talking about. Right. So we're talking about all the contributions. Okay, so when that soldier comes home and they're isolated and you notice that they isolate themselves, they're in their room by themselves, not really talking to nobody or anything like that. All of that are indicators. Okay, and they're dealing with the things that they have going on. Some people call them nightmares, but they're not nightmares. You know why? They're things that actually happened. You see what I'm saying? So they're not nightmares. You lived through them already. So you're just going over them, going over them, going over them. You see what I'm saying? What are you missing in those dreams that you keep on going back? Nobody knows. Only you know. You know what you're looking for in there. But most of the times you're just 
too scared to open your eyes and really look. You got to open your eyes. You got to face that fear. All right? And uh, don't, don't give up, man. Keep fighting. There's a lot of us that think we have to give up, and you don't. Because there's others like you out there that have the same dreams. All right? have the same problems, that see the same things, that go through the same stress. This is what we need to alleviate that number. Let's change that number while y'all reaching out. All right? And um, again, man, so so going back to Going back to these these indicators and these stressors because we have to we have to keep on reiterating on these indicators and these stressors because we need people to start looking for them. That way, if they can see it before it happens, they might be able to talk that soldier out of it because that's what we want, right? And result, and result, we want more soldiers living instead of taking their lives. So, when we, when we come home and we transition out of the military, um, some of us don't get the memo or some of us didn't know that we can go to the VA and the VA is supposed to help us. We don't know these channels, right? I don't know. Maybe we wasn't paying attention and out processing. We were so eager to get out. I don't know. Or maybe some of the units lapsed in helping that soldier transition out, right? Who knows what happens? The bottom line is there is help. Yes, you can go to the VA when you get out with an honorable discharge, and they would help you get your benefits started. Yes, they would. And if you're one of those soldiers that went to war and you have a retarded number of missions that you went on over and over and over, you had no counseling when you came back from those missions, The only thing you was told was, hey, suit up. We got to go do it again, right? So those things will constantly beat into your brain for 15 months. So when you get out and the real war begins... Because you already did the physical. Now here come the mental war. When they give you these prescriptions, let's try to understand or let's try to break down prescriptions. Let's 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 see what we could talk about prescriptions, right? Because now let's think about it really and truly. 
every person's uh, human design is different. Your 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 DNA is different. We're, our DNA are not the same. Our patterns are not the same. The things we do are not the same. So we will not react the same to the same medicine. Some people, these prescription medicines work. I'm not saying they don't. But some people, they're detrimental. All right? And I'm willing to bet that the prescriptions hurt more people than they help. Maybe not right then and there, but in the long run as well. All right? Because half of these prescriptions that we get for PTSD, TBI, depression, anxiety, half of them... The main side effect is suicidal thoughts. So, when you look at that 22 a day, and you do the math on how many missions that person has done, how many things he's, how many things they have seen, he or she, how many things they have done, he or she, How many times they had to give a part of their soul so they can come back to their loved ones, he or she. And then when you come back and you give them a medication, that's main side effect. It's suicidal thoughts on top of the things that person has done, on top of the things that person has seen. No wonder why you have 22 a day. And I'm willing to bet it's more. You see what I'm saying? But, you know. We'll just go with the number that we were presented. And that's still a bad number. Right? So when you sit back and you think about it. What are we really doing? What is really the cure for all these things? What is the mental state of anyone who is thinking about the military and their veterans? Because I'm still trying to wrap my head around it if we're still losing 22 a day. Or just suicide and stuff. And there's people out there that are purposely killing veterans as well. Why did that person go dodge those bullets or 
those rockets or knives or IEDs to come home and either die by pills, die by drugs, die by jealous drug dealers who would spike their drugs. Or die by just jealous people because he gets a check from the military. You damn right he gets a check. He went out and did what you didn't. You see? So these are issues. And one day... I hope this podcast make it to where everybody's listening and everybody decides to say, hey, we need to put a stop to this. Checkpoint 6 has an idea. And the idea... would help a lot more than it would hurt. Let's 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 really take a look into these cannabis treatments that are out there. Let's dive in. We need to dive in. Because there are safer treatments than just opioids. We got to figure a way to lessen this number. We need more open-minded therapists instead of the therapists that a scripted that read off his screen. Why 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 doesn't my therapist look me in the eye when I'm talking to him or her? They're looking at the screen. Don't look at the screen when I'm talking to you. You see what I'm saying? Because it lets me know you're scripted. I need an open-minded therapist, one that's not judgmental. Because many people come back from war with different thinking, different mentalities. Because the brain has been exposed to things that it wasn't normally exposed to. Is it mental health? Is mental retardation? Is it mental growth? Who knows what it is, but it's something mental. You got to really think about it. And this is why I want everybody to open their minds and really think and listen to what's going on. Pay attention to what's going on with these vets in the streets. The ones that are homeless, they got a story as well. You see? So that 22 a day, if that really is the number, You really have to pay attention to what these vets went through. 
So maybe suicide was the last option because homicide, <laughs> let's just face it, we don't want all these vets out in the streets running around killing folks because they feel a type of way. So they rather kill themselves. See? So we really have to think about the things we, we, we're putting out here. You know? Think about the people we're putting out here. Again, let's change that number. 22 a day? It shouldn't be. So when we look at the factors again and we look at all those things that are pushing us to suicidal thoughts, you got to look at family. That's like the last straw for you, right? That's like the person you want to back you up. When you're married, you're looking for your wife to have your back. You're married to somebody and you're married for years but you don't feel like they love you. You don't feel like they have your back. You don't feel like they really care about the things that you would genuinely care for. So, to you, that person has turned their back on you and they're just a body. So it's rejection. It's neglect. You're on an island by yourself. That's another cause for suicide. Family rejections. Or you got out other than honorable, dishonorable. Can't get a job. Can't support the family you were supporting while you was in, giving the the army 110%. So now you're forced to be out on the street, turn into either crime, drugs, what have you. You see, these are the contributions to this 22. We have to think about what contributes to the 22 so we can stop it. Why, why, why don't we have more MWRs outside of the military for veterans when they get out, for veterans to meet up with each other and have like-minded conversations. See, things like that can start a healing process. Why aren't we at a recreational center where we can sit down and have cannabis sessions that we can sit down and talk? What if we had... Cannabis therapy. Hear me out for a little bit. All right. What if we had a therapist. That when a veteran comes in. The therapist. Lays out. A set of cannabis on the table. And has the veteran choose. Which cannabis he would like to use. And in the fashion he would like to use it. He medicates. 
The therapist also medicates and they sit down and have an open conversation about what's going on with that veteran. And instead of prescribing him thousands of dollars in opioids, they give him a prescribed dosage of cannabis so he can medicate at home because they know the extent of his brain damage and it was assessed. So therefore, they give him the right dosage of cannabis so he can be relaxed at home. What if they have facilities like that for veterans? I think, I think that number would change drastically. But again, that's just in my opinion. I don't know if anybody else is thinking like me, but if you are, you can let me know, man. <laughs> like I said, uh, go ahead and hit me up on the phone number, one eight three three O N Y O U R, and the number six, because we're always on your six here at Checkpoint Six. Or you can hit us up on Checkpoint Six on Facebook. Okay? And we're also on YouTube. We just got our little YouTube channel established. So yes, we are on we are on YouTube as Checkpoint Six. And again, Spotify, Apple Music as well. And we're brought in part by Anchor. Alright, folks. Again, today the topic was about the 22. What are we doing to change the number? Quick rundown. What are the causes of the 22, right? PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. TBI, traumatic brain injury. Depression. Anxiety. Right? Some people say insomnia, but... I think some people are just scared to go to sleep because they don't want to have those nightmares, a.k.a. dreams, because they're not nightmares, because they happened, right? It's something you dealt with. So what are we doing? How are we going to fix it? These are questions that everybody has to ask. Right? So, again, we want to, um, we want to hear from you guys, man. We want more people to chime in, show this podcast, or let your friends listen to this podcast, man, because it's something we need to talk about. And never fear, we can always revisit a subject, okay? And this subject, I just felt like I needed to talk about it today because it's something we need to change. We're trying to make change for the future. How do we change? 
that stigma of 22 a day. Right? Guys that come home and get on drugs, hard drugs. They use up all their money. They can't get no more drugs. Of course, last resort, they kill themselves, right? These are things we got to prevent, man. How we going to go about it, man? We need to check on each other, talk to each other. That's why I said we need more vet centers around where we go hang out, have like-minded conversations. But uh, this is all I'm going to touch on today. Remember, I love you guys, man, and I want you guys around forever. You understand? So please contact And if you can, switch your diet. Switch your diet. Eat healthier. Live a healthier life. And remember, I love you guys. This is Broku the Great One, man. Coming to you from Checkpoint 6, a podcast made possible to you by Anchor. Peace. Ah, good evening, good evening, good evening. Here we go again. This is Broku the Great One. Here again at Checkpoint 6, and I got a special guest today, but uh, I'll let him introduce himself and what his job was. Go ahead, brother. Uh, Good evening. Um, uh, My job was a 91 Bravo, which is a combat medic for the United States Army. Okay, okay. And... uh, you mind to share with us what year did you um, enlist? I enlisted in uh, 88. In 88. Nice. See, the reason why I like uh, this particular interview, because uh, we have a different time zone from what I'm used to talking about. Normally, this time zone that we talk about is more Iraq and uh, the more recent wars, but... With a guy with your stature, 88, I want you to tell the people, like, and even me, what was the Army like in 88? Uh, well, I, I officially went in in 89. I, I did delayed entry in 88. Okay. Uh, officially went in in 89. When, as soon as I got out of high school, I think I was home for maybe a week before I went to uh, basic training. Okay. Um... At that particular time, they had just uh, stopped the drill sergeants from actually putting their hands on you. Oh. So they, uh, the drill sergeants were saying at that time that they couldn't touch you, but they could smoke you. Mm. And uh, they spent a lot of time <coughs> making us push Mother Earth. <laughs> push Mother Earth. Yeah. Uh, you know, because we gotta, we gotta always simplify. So let me break it down. Um, push Mother Earth. That means push ups, push ups, push ups, push ups. You gonna get strong. Yeah. You gonna get strong. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. So I mean, um, for a combat medic, and around about what age did you join? Uh, delayed entry of 17, 18 when I went in. Okay, okay. So combat medic, 
18 years old, 1988. I mean, what was what was going on around those times? What type of... Uh, around that time, as soon as I went through basic training and AIT, which I did that in Fort Sam, mm-hmm. uh, my first duty station, I got to Germany in December of 89. Uh, right after Operation White Fox. They were actually coming back from uh, training, Operation White Fox, when I got there. Mm. And um, that was in 89, and the storm kicked off. We left, it was October August, it was October of 90 okay. when, when Desert Shield kicked off. Desert Shield kicked off. Yes, okay, I, okay. I tend to forget that um, Desert Shield, it wasn't a conflict, but it was what caused us to go. Okay. So when Desert Storm kicked off, then that becomes, you get double overseas pay for all we've been overseas, and then, it, then your status changes from Shield to... Storm. Okay, okay. And um, so I forget to, to do that. I, I bundle it all up and that's not the case. Okay, all right. So at that time, I mean, when you was going through there, was you uh, married? Was you single? I was single. Single? And, uh, yeah. Okay, okay. I was pretty much in all male units until I got to Germany. And our unit was all male units, but the, the unit had females in it. For example, our M88s had female truckers. Uh, there were female medics at the hospital. Uh, I was put in the support unit, so you know how you know when you get into right. support. So yeah, there in Germany was all males. Okay, okay. I mean, and I could just imagine like I was there in two thousand and one, two thousand and two. What was the market right. exchange rate then? Ah uh, man, they had just moved out the dinars and oh, and flipped okay. over the euros. Okay. So therefore, uh, their money was higher than ours now, you know. And yeah. I'd hear all the stories of the guys who's there before with the, the with the dinars. Or they're like, "Hey man, stuff is cheap. You can buy stores. You can buy this." I'm like, yeah. "Really?" You know. So um, when I know in Germany. What was the mark rate? The mark? No, the marks was gone. Mark for Germany? Yeah, oh, it was okay. all euros. The yeah. whole of Europe. Wow. So yeah. Was, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was gone. So yeah, we were still dealing with <laughs> y'all yeah. enjoyed it. Y'all yeah. enjoyed it, you know. But um, like I know in Germany, man, when when I was there, you had uh, missions to Kosovo, you had missions to Bosnia, Czechoslovakia, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. I mean, did you go on any of those missions right there? Um, there was uh, some activity. There while while I was stationed there. Okay, okay. You want to elaborate or it's too deep for you? <laughs> it's not too deep. It's just that we there was some activity when we were there. Okay, okay. I mean, we can understand that, but you know, like, uh, so after that, I mean, most of your time in the military was it after the Desert Shield stuff. Well, in Desert Storm, you yeah. endured that too. Yeah. As a combat medic, I mean, what type of things can you express that you've seen or dealt well, with? Well, I, I can say I um, experienced the worst that one man can do to another. And regardless of, uh, there's always going to be wars as long as we're human beings and we have different ideas and different agendas, different ideologies. There's always going to be wars because of that, but 
Um, it is the worst that one man can do to another. When you can you take up arms against another human being? Right. It is the worst, and um, at the level of a conflict, um, these other countries like Iran and Iraq have been doing it for over a thousand years. You know, this is something they're used to. Um, but it is impeccably the worst one man, worst thing that one man can do to another is bring up arms to him. Right. And witnessing that at the level that I did being, I think it was 19 years old at that time, it was 90 years, I was 19. Mm-hmm. Um, it was mind-blowing. It was like watching TV. It didn't even seem real. As you watch it, it didn't even seem real. Right. Uh, we're the, the first... The beginning of the war, when they took to the air, they were doing the bombardments. Right. Um, you're there in a tent, and the ground is just vibrating and shaking, and just vib- just vibrating, and and because you know we pounded them, we pounded right. them day and night, so they right. didn't, they didn't get a break. And uh, but being in a tent, being you know, 19 years old, and the ground is shaking and shaking because of what we're doing, you don't know. Um, You've never been anything like this at this level. Right. You know, so uh, one of the biggest things that I, I, myself, I say I can say that I was concerned, worried about is had I learned enough to save a life. Mm. And that was my concern, you know. Okay. Constantly going over my training. Because now it's for real. It's not yeah, just training. Not so training. now you got to put it into action. Put it into action. Yeah. So, yeah, after the bombardment, when we started moving and then, you know, we moved three, four days time with no sleep and no rest. That was uh, mental and physically ta- taxing on us. You're already scared. Right. You know what I mean? And that takes a lot out of you. That wears your body down because you've never been through anything like this before. Right. And then on top of that, I have to save a life. So right. I'm in this condition, dealing with this and having to save a life. So that was my biggest, my biggest concern is had I learned enough, will I do enough to save a life? Mm. And uh, make the right decision to save a life. So that was my biggest concern. And, and that was, if I had to say I was worried about um, that's what I was worried about. It was too late to, um, and, and most people, including yourself, can tell you that when you get there, you're not concerned about dying because it's too late for that. Right. You know, you've already there. Right. So you're going to do what you got to do to do your job. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And for, unfortunately for me, which fortunately for me, mine was saving a life. Right. So I had to use everything that the military taught me, but I'm coming out of basic training and come right out of AIT into a conflict. Right. So right. I didn't have time to sit, do additional training. Right, you right. Know, go through more. More think, simulations right. and everything like that. Right, to, to, to be able to do this with my eyes closed, like you right. do with M16, you know, break it down and put it together. Right. So that was my biggest concern. And then once it kicked off and we started receiving patients, you just started going through it and start doing it without any thought. Because you've been trained. Mm. So, mm. But that was my biggest concern. So, like, would you... Do you think at any time when y'all was out there, it was a a critical time? Like, let's say a day where it felt like it wasn't going to end. You just had endless patience coming in. And you're like, when is this going to stop? Yeah, there, was multiple, there was multiple days. Uh uh, I don't know. Um, well, you know, everybody back home, they were getting the news about 24,000 people were giving up and stuff like that. Um, we dealt with a lot of refugees coming in. Right. Um, so we had am- ambulatory patients, patients that were walking. 
Okay. Um, but I was attached to Third ID, which was Frontline. Mm-hmm. And um, we was receiving patients. I, if to the ratio of, you know, we also take care of the, the Iraqi. Right. Iraqis. You know, right. my patient could be American or, or Indian. Iraqi, yeah. And I took care of both. I saw a lot of Iraqi patients. And we took care of a lot of them that came through with various different wounds. Majority of them gunshot, of course. Right. Um, burns, uh, dismemberments uh, due to due to arms fire. Right. Um, a lot of patients then, of course, we saw uh, things that happened, which most of it was friendly fire. Okay, okay. Most of we would. So what I'm going to attempt to do now is <clears throat> see if we could compare the times, right? So when I was there, the one thing I noticed was uh, the lack of police force, uh, the lack of fire brigade, the lack of uh, ambulatory people. I mean... Most they had was uh, coroners, people who come take the body. That's it. Yeah, we had uh, a Nash, Army National uh, National Guard unit, that had MP unit, mm-hmm. uh, that showed up to do security. But they, I think I saw them one day or two days, and they were gone. Um, I didn't see uh, much of uh, security forces. They may have had them out at a further distance than you know that okay. we were aware of because we were inside the. Uh, you you stayed on the fog for for pretty much. Yeah, we were inside the spearhead. You know, the top of the right after Marines. Yeah, third ID was back there behind them. Okay, and um, that's how we moved. Okay, okay. So, so um, after let's say after you guys came back. I mean, what was it like? Um, like the re the the it was a, the reunite the re the reuniting of family. What was that like? We uh, when it was over and um, we were because we were stationed in Germany, we were shipped back to Germany. Right. Uh, we for for those soldiers who were not married. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, first of all, you know, they put us all in a hangar, and they had a psychologist in there with a pamphlet. Right. And uh, the night before we got on the plane, they said, hey, uh, we just need to let you guys know that you're going back. Your wives, girlfriends, or boyfriends may have been with somebody else. You can't hurt them or kill them. If you feel like you need some help, you can't handle it. They passed out a pamphlet and said, call this number. Is there any questions, anything anybody want to talk about? Hmm. And that was it. And then the next day, we got on the plane. And... Uh, down at the port there in Kuwait. And uh, we got back for our single soldiers because, you know, we're quarantined for how long? How long did quarantine us after? I can't remember. Probably about 14, probably about 14 days, oh, two more weeks. Than that. Yeah. yeah, because they didn't know. You know, it's the first oh. time. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So we yeah, were yeah. 30 days, if I'm 30, 60 days, something like that quarantine before we left. It was a significant amount of time. Oh, okay. Before so, y'all can go back yeah, to your family. Yeah, before we could go stuff. come back stateside. So okay. we quarantined us here in Germany. And um, we uh, we got here. You know, it was after, I guess, they had parades and stuff like that we heard about. We mm-hmm. didn't see any of that. You know, we got back. There was just us and a bus. And we got back. They dropped us off in the quad. And uh, we walked up to our room. And um, it was like... You know, it's like we just got back from a run. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> <The> PT. <laughs> That's, it was just like that. So Oh man. I'm laughing, but I'm laughing you know in disbelief I mean? for yeah. real though. Like yeah, we you know what I'm saying? It was like we all walked to our rooms, it was quiet. Uh, nobody said anything. We dropped off our bags and nobody knew what to do with themselves. There was a uh, command wasn't there. You know, we just got back, we were still in uniform, everybody just sitting around and staring at the wall. You know, nobody knew what to do. So because you know in the military we're always doing something. Right. You know, PT every morning after PT, some kind of training after some kind of training, another formation. You know, we have a formation for a formation. Right. And formation does we're gonna have a four o'clock formation. <laughs> right. You know, so formations yeah, all day. Yeah. Doing that all day. There's always <laughs> something going on. Right. So, you know, after this it was dead silence. It was dead. It was like we're dead in the water. Nothing. Oh. And um, you know, there were some incidents uh, that happened. I don't know if uh, I'm get to talk about them, you know, due to the families. I mean, yeah, no, no name calling. I mean, we're not judging, but yeah. we know, we some, know when you come back from war, yeah, uh, some suicides, and yeah, stuff like that. yeah, you know, and and um, well, with the with the suicides, you know, stuff get tough, yeah, especially when you go down range and you come back. Yeah. Uh, your support channel, who you thought was holding you down in the back, yeah. was doing something else. Yeah, right. And either that, they're lost because you know they they, you know, may have been through. There's not that many people actually go through war, so right. there's a lot of people that get happy and geared up for it because combat time means rank, right? You know, especially for the higher ups. So I don't know. We were, we were it was dead. It's nothing. There's nothing going on. Nobody knew how to think, how to feel. Uh, mm. This is this is not like after uh, training. You know, you're in Germany, so you know Vilsack, Hornsfeld. Right. We, right, we, right. All, we all went oh, training yeah. there. Oh yeah. So it was, it was not like they're coming back after that because we got back before our vehicles did. So there wasn't anything to clean. Right. As so, you know, that'll be the next thing. Right. So then you waited. PMCS, vehicles come back, and then you started start cleaning. Yes, and cleaning and getting the vehicles because they, so, they need you to have something to do. So, like, how long after uh, Desert Storm did you get out? Um, well, uh, if I could back up a little bit, once I quarantine lifted, I was able to come back home. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, I did, my mom kept saying that I wasn't the same person I was, but I didn't see it. You know, I'm not right. on the outside, so I'm not doing a self-assessment. She right. kept saying that, but... You know, I mean, I, I expect after something like that, who will be the same as they was when they went in. Right. So I didn't really take it to any, you know, went in one ear and went out the other. I didn't okay. really take it. From, Took it with a grain of salt, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so I it mean, was just strange when I came home because, you know, you see people, and it's just like people that go in the military, do a stint in the military without conflict, and come home and you got people still doing the same thing. You don't. Right. It's hard to get in with them people because they're doing the same thing. Right. And you know see, I mean? and the thing is, like, um, I feel like if you go to war with a bunch of guys and then you all come back to garrison, That's all different. of all of you are going to look at each other like you're doing the same thing, like everything yeah. is normal. Yeah. But to the folks, like your mom, like... Brothers, old sisters, friends old like friends, yeah. they'll look at you and like, something's off. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? But we won't take that into accord, not till uh, later on. Right. When when mm-hmm. we actually finished 
Right. When we actually with the military. Out, yeah, that right? we have a problem. So now, like, you did the Vilsec thing. You, you, got, you got back to Germany, quarantined, and then y'all came back to the States. Yes. Okay, so when you got back to the States, uh, how long did you stay in after that? Um, uh, I PCS from Germany to Fort Stewart in mm-hmm. Georgia, and I uh, got out in 92. Okay, okay. So when you got out... They offered an early out, and I took the early out, because okay. I, I had re-enlisted, mm. and, um, but... They were they were cutting the uh, MOSs right. They were they were changing up. Yeah, because I know I didn't, I didn't meet the qualifications for it, so okay. I had to take a. I had was E E four promotable, mm-hmm. or E five at that time, and I had to take a bus to get out because okay. I couldn't get out. They told me I didn't meet qualifications, mm. but I told them that I really wanted to, and they told me that's the only way I can get out. Mm. Bus down E one if you like, just get me out. Wow. Yeah, really was going. It was up. Uh, Hurricane Andrew was going on at that time, wow. and my unit had been. We we were down in Miami, helping <sighs> people, and the crazy thing about it is the people that we were helping. My family was among the people that we were helping uh, wow. during the hurricane. So I'm down there, and then I'm running into cousins and stuff like that. I'm in uniform. Right. And we're helping them get to housing and stuff like that. So right. can you imagine that? You're activated for a hurricane but this is your people. Right. You're helping yeah. actual family yeah, members. Actually family right. Members. So, so they're really looking motivated. at you at work. Yeah. No. That man. really motivated me to wanna Right, do yeah. more, right? You get know? out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Motivated you to get out yeah, of faster, right? Because I need to help my family. I right. need to spend my time helping my family get Okay. Get okay, that's understandable. And I mean you got out, and I mean, uh, what was your process like as far as once once you got out, transitioning to a civilian? What was um, that like? It was strange. Uh, you know, you you are left to your own devices. You when you get out, you go home. Right. Uh, so I'm home with my duffel bag and my some of the uniforms and you know some of the clothes I had until my home goes shipped. My stuff shipped from Germany, and um, strange you're, you're, you know, uh, you're still waking up at five thirty, six in the morning because you know PT is in your head, right? PT, but you know you're not going to do it because one of the first things you tell yourself is, "I'm not getting up early again." Right, I'm done with this shit. <laughs> right, <laughs> but you get up anyway, you know, right? Because your body is again. Here. That's why I, I, I tried to explain to people. I had an earlier uh, segment where I was talking about um, how our patterns of sleep and how much sleep we got and, and the way we were sleeping, you know, uh, I was a cook, so it was different for me. I was up at uh, 3.30 in the morning. Yeah, yeah. I probably lay down at 7 at yeah. night and whatever the case may be, yeah. right? So when I came home, it was the same thing. Like, I still jump up at 3.30, ready to go, and then turn around like, wait a minute. Because what people well, don't understand this is, nonsense. what people don't understand about you guys, and the reason why I know is because we work hand in hand when we had to go to field and set up right <laughs> uh, and then on top of that you guys are our best friends that's who right. you make sure there's two people the mechanics and the cooks you oh you, sure you got to make sure you're good with the cooks but baby. what people don't understand about you guys is you have prep right and so cooking time the cooking and serving the cooking time is a significant amount of time the serving is a very small amount of time a very small 
amount of what you guys do. Right. It's a serving. Right. Because once breakfast, you're already prepping for lunch. And then once lunch comes in, you're already prepping for dinner. Exactly. People don't know that. People that don't understand how things work, especially at different departments, uh, they're going to look at us like, okay, we got to cook so they have them do guard duty. You know what I mean? Right. They don't understand how it works. Right. And, and, and cooks had to do guard duty. Yeah. Even though Medics they were cooks. Yeah. Medics did it. Yeah. You know, everybody had to play their part. Yeah. Right? Because we're so, all soldiers first. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, again, um, let's let's try to explain the, the getting out process. Like, the you, out had process. To, you had to turn in all the stuff that the military gave you. And, and if you didn't have it. They would charge you. Yeah, they said they're going to take it out of any monies that you may receive that you're getting out. Oh, man, I think that's so horrible. But, hey, that's how it is, you know. Yeah. Uh, so you got home, and um, when you got home, like, how long did it take you to actually say, hey, I got to get up and go get a job, or I got to um, try to get some type of help? When I when I got home, I uh, got home. Went to my father's house first. Right. And um, I was there, and uh, you know, your father's always gonna try to. You know, they don't want to see you sitting around after you don't. You know, been in the military, been in anything like that. You come home, they look for you to be working. Right. So um, I had gotten some signed up for a temp agency, gotten a couple of temp jobs. I did, and got sick on one of them. Mm. Uh, one of the jobs I was doing was uh, down in Florida. Uh, we have to treat telephone poles. Oh, okay. Uh, because you know the ground is three, four feet down is water. Right. So you would right. have to dig down a foot down, put pitch on it, mm-hmm. put a piece of paper on it, uh, drill into this for to keep bugs and stuff from eating the wood. And I did that. Well, we were in a certain area, and something hit my my sinuses. So. That was the very first time I went to the VA when I got out. And when I got to the VA, um, mm. they told me, uh, they treated me for my sinuses. But they started asking me a bunch of questions about uh, health care and when I signed up and stuff like that. I didn't know what they were talking about. Right. So they sent me down to see some man, and this guy told me that I was, um, I had a 10% disability because I had done combat. Okay. And um, I said, well, what does I do? He said, it's just your rating because uh, you were in combat. It's 10%. <laughs> so wait, so wait, wait, wait. You mean to tell me you got out the army, mm-hmm. went home, mm-hmm. and didn't even think about the VA until you got that? And I didn't have insurance. So the only thought that came up, nobody had told me about going to the VA. No one told me. No one told me that I had VA access. So, so and guess so who check me, this out. Guess who told me to go to the VA? My mother. So now I'm going to reiterate this for everybody to hear. I'm going to say it again because you know why this is one of the most important points. And this is why I asked this one question. When you was getting out, nobody told you about that VA. Nobody told me to go register. But if the only thing they told me to do was go take my DD-214 to the city I live in and get a copy of it made, certified, and that was it. 
<laughs> so I had never done anything. Never. The only thing that pushed me to the VA was my mother. They told she told me to go down there because uh, I was sick. And of course, I didn't have insurance because I wasn't working. Right. Go down to the VA and they'll see you. And that's what prompted me to go down to the VA. So but walk- still, <laughs> at that point, I don't know that I can come back. Um, I right. don't know. So walk me, walk me, walk me through this journey, cause, cause man, like a lot of people is going through this, even right now. You'd be surprised that from your time, we're talking about from '88 on forward, and that still hasn't changed. Because I just talked to two vets prior to you, and they said the same exact thing that they did not know. That they can go to the VA no. when they got out. Nobody told them. No, there was it wasn't a conversation. There wasn't any paperwork that states that you can go here for health care or to go register for health care. There was nothing. When they let me out, they let me out and let me go home. So there was no talk about it. I said, my mother is the only reason why I went. And when I went, then even when I went in and got treated, they nobody at the VA said, hey, anything else, you come back to the VA, stuff like this. They said, make a call. If these meds we give you, you're feeling sick or ill or something happened, give us a call back. So even after that, there isn't anything or anyone that says you have health care. You can come up here and be treated or seen if you have any problems. Like I said, oh. the only thing that they did was send me to a guy, and this guy told me that I was 10%. Um, but he didn't tell me what I could do with it. He didn't tell me. He said, I got 10% because I was combat related. And he didn't explain to me anything. So I didn't follow up with him after I left the VA. Uh, my biggest thing was trying to find it. Uh, excuse me, trying to find a job. And I went through multiple, just one endless job to the next, trying to fit in. So... What's, what's your rating like today? Uh, today, I'm 100% today. <laughs> and, I, and I got my rating late. I probably could have been... Uh, when I first found out about uh, compensation and actually getting help was in 2010. And... From... Wait. Hold on. From the 19s... To 2010... 2010 is when you found out that I needed help and I probably should be getting help. And then you could actually, you know, there's also compensation claim that you can get for your, you know, stuff that you've been dealing with. But still at that point, I didn't even know um, what it does, what, what is it does, the full extent. Yeah. What what's the purpose? What's behind it? Because I went to the Veteran Affairs Office in Phoenix and they gave me a sheet of paper, you know, one of those veteran docs. Mm-hmm. And, well, actually, it was like three or four pieces. And I had to fill front and back as much as information I can and turn it in. And that was my claim. Mm. And I got I got a phone call one day. And a young lady got on the phone and asked me, did I put in a pension claim? I know I didn't retire, so I told her no. She said, thank you, and hung up. So... Mm. I didn't know that she was calling for a compensation and pension. She asked me, did I put in a pension claim? And my understanding of pension claim is retirement. Right. You know, you get right. a pension from retiring from a, a job. Right. right. So when she called me, did you put in a pension claim? I said, a pension claim with who? She said, oh, this is veteran affairs. I said, no. 
She said, okay, thank you, and hung up. Didn't ask me any other further questions. And that's the first time that, that my paperwork went in and it was denied. And I didn't know, you know, what it was or why it what was. You, what else you and had I'm still do. waiting on this claim. Okay. So I had hooked up with the veteran of foreign, the foreign legion. Mm-hmm. And I sat down with a lady and she, uh, someone else had told me, another vet. Right. Had told me that they were with the foreign legion. You need to go in here. You need to see, gave me this lady's name. And I sat down with her. She kept saying, oh, my God. Oh, my God, you could have did this. Oh, my God, you didn't fill out such and such. Oh, my God, you didn't do this. This is where you could have been. She says, look, I'm going to help you fill this out. Uh, this is what I need from you. And I gave her what she needed. Uh, sat down in the office with her, and she asked me tons of questions as she was filling out my initial claim, my secondary claim. Right. Of course, this is after, the after you know, you only got, what, 12 months before you can go in and... Um, Resubmit. Yeah, resubmit okay. because you'll have if if you do it within the twelve month period, of course you get back paid to twenty ten. So this was about two years after that. Right. She kept saying, "Oh my god!" So she filled it out, told me, um, she submitted everything. Okay. And I didn't hear anything. Didn't know nothing about it. It took them about a year and a half to get back with me and. Uh, when it happened, I had signed up for the VASH program, the Veteran Homeless Program, because I was homeless at the time. Okay. And I had signed up for the VASH program, and the day that I got my apartment is the day that that claim came through, and I got approved. Oh. And it was just out of the blue. Okay. You know, it was back before they were doing oh. see, I guess, I guess they did a CEP exam. I just don't remember much of it. So... Okay, so what was some of the, I guess I want to say diagnosis they came up with? Uh, PTSD, severe. Okay. Um, depression, severe depression, uh, severe anxiety. Um, uh, I'd have to look at my... Look at your file. Yeah. Yeah. See what they came that up with. Medical doubt. Okay. But that's some so, of the things they came like up with. PTSD, uh, depression, anxiety, all severe. So, your, for, your visits, like, I know that you go in there, like me. I didn't have severe, but when I went in and they said... Uh, Oh, you have a chronic PTSD. That's where they started. Chronic PTSD. I mean, I was offered seven medications just off that. Mm -hmm. So you were severe. What was your medical cabinet like? Um, at a minimum of what, what, about fourteen different meds for various stuff. prescriptions. Yeah. So you have fourteen prescriptions, and what's in what's what's that number to now? Or is, are you still at 14 or you um, got less? I'm down to, well, I'm taking Risperdone, Trazodone, Codeine, something. All these are antipsychotic. 
Right. Um, meds. Yeah, meds. Okay. And the risperdone and the C-O-N-I-D-O-A-A and something, those two are uh, for PTSD, for nightmares, and the trazodone is for sleeping and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I have something else for anxiety as well. Mm. So I'm down to about... How many meds I'm down about? Maybe five, I think. I'm down about about five. five. But they're pretty... They're Max like dosages, strong. No, they're not max, but okay. they're, yeah, they're pretty strong. Than what I was taking before. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, <clears throat> that's one of the things we like uh, talking about at Checkpoint 6, man, because uh, a lot of military folks, we come back and when we get these diagnoses, they always try to put us on some type of pill or uh, something of that nature. I mean, I don't know. You've been on these pills for a while now. What are your, what are your feelings? And 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 are you, are you looking for other treatments or are uh, you just gonna stick with this? If we're, it's we're always looking for other treatments, because um, you know, as convoluted as your mind is, you know, taking all these meds and foggy all the time, you don't like living that way. You're a human being. Your body wasn't designed to do that. Right. You know. Uh, regardless of what they say, regardless of how depressed I'm not stupid. Right. So we're always looking for, and, you know, thank God for my wife, um, we're always looking for alternative treatments to kind of clear your head, to uh, hang, to, to handle the anger uh, right. issues. Uh, we're always looking for something uh, more, um, something that your body can actually handle because... You know, we believe that taking this stuff here is going to deteriorate our brain cells in our body, mm-hmm. you know, at some point. Or, or if we don't, you know, develop a weird cancer. So we know that all this stuff, you know, is, isn't good for us. Kidneys, uh, you you, uh, you know, they don't understand why a lot of vets have kidney failure. Oh. Well, this stuff here, the liver, between the liver and the kidneys, they have to filter all this crap out. And those pills, what holds them together? I'm a medic. So what holds the pills together is a binding material that they don't talk about that's in those pills that your body has to process through. That's not passed as waste. Oh. So it doesn't leave your body. It's, it's a binding material. So when you really research the stuff that we're taking, where does that go? Because it doesn't pass. So... So, yes, we always look for alternative means. And, you know, you hear about a lot of stuff. And cannabis is one of the largest ones out there. Uh, CBD oil. Um, they've been treating children that have seizures with CBD oil, and it's been very effective. Right. Um, and in a lot of states, they have uh, approved uh, CBD oil for veterans because it's, they have proved it to be, it has worked for uh, PTSD, nightmares, anxiety, um, and things of that nature. So... We are, we keep hearing that the VA has it approved, but they haven't made any other moves as far as here in the state of Georgia. Hmm. So, you're open to the, uh, to the cannabis treatment, and, and I'm glad to hear that because, uh, I'm a cannabis kind of sewer myself. I, uh, I rather that than the, um, pills myself because, um, the difference between myself and you, and this is where I always try to draw a difference with veterans, is some veterans started the um, 
the pill treatment after they got out. But some veterans are on those pills while they're in. Right. So you hear the dangers of these pills and with the people that's out. So don't you think that the people that's in don't even have a fighting chance because they're on the pills while they're doing these missions, while they're still in doing whatever? Yeah, in, in my opinion, these these people are doomed to fail uh, medically. Um, they'll be receiving a, a mental health, again, in my opinion, they're receiving a mental health discharge because they're not going to be able to function like the military needs them to. And if they get a, and if they end up getting kicked out, then they won't even get benefits. And so, that's, and, and, and that's crazy because if they're getting kicked out because of these uh, opioids or whatever prescription drugs they're on that's prescribed by the military, mm-hmm. like, what is that? But you, when you're on it, you don't know to fight it. You don't know to do anything because your your mind's already <laughs> being fogged by the medication. Mm. Uh, so... You get kicked out. You know you got kicked out for a disciplinary reason, and you're just out. So you do nothing with yourself except for try to try to be a functioning part of society. Mm. So mm. you become, you know, you're one of the ones that gets slipped between the cracks. And there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of them that uh, slip between the cracks. I think there's uh, close to what thirty thousand homeless veterans in our. Uh, L.A.? That's just L.A. alone. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's uh, that's terrible. And here at uh, Checkpoint 6, man, we, uh, we've been trying to petition to even the governor of New York City to help us uh, start our little farm. We want to start growing and help the cannabis industry as far as make a change within the V.A., and even if we can get not just the government, but I won't say the government, but the politicians to actually listen to the cries of veterans and do something. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Something more than what is actually being done right now. So if we can get that type of change to a better, cleaner, healthier way to treat our veterans, I mean... You also, after you've done your thing and you got your 100% now, you're a guy that also turns around and try to help other veterans as well. Tell us about some of those people that you have to try to help. You don't have to call names, of course. But. Yeah. Um, uh, each and every one of those veterans that, that, you know, each one teach one. That's what we do. Right. Um, uh, and our feeble attempts to try to help one another, we, uh, we're thankful for the VA forums that have developed on uh, Facebook. Right. Uh, we've learned a lot from, from that. Each, each and every time a veteran learns something, um, either it's a treatment or a compensation of some sort, uh, uh, how to combat homelessness, uh, drug addiction, anything, you know, they post it online. So we're able to and, you know, podcasts like this, we learn from one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
through that, I've been able to lead a lot of veterans to, you know, the Facebook pages and right. and the ones that you know from things that I have learned have helped them with their claims as best I can. Okay. And um, uh, certain uh, attorneys that help veterans. Right. 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 Well, hey, I know you're a busy man. We all busy. Um, I want to thank you for coming on the show tonight. We're going to wrap up right here. I mean, we could stay on this topic forever. Yeah. You know, because um, it's all mental health, right? And uh, the goal is to actually bring some sort of or more awareness to what's going on with the veterans. And I mean, of course, this is not something that's only plaguing veterans because right now, if we look at the whole country, man, I think mental health is a big issue. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. uh, even down to, um, I read an article where uh, even this COVID-19 stuff is uh, leaving at least 20 to 30% brain damage mm. in the people that are uh, contractors. Mm. Yeah, this is pretty serious. But, you know, like you said, it's not just the veterans. The veterans' families are also affected. Exactly. Uh, you know, when they're dealing with uh, veterans and mental health and... Wives, uh, kids. Wives, the children that, you know, because the it's not just uh, what we've physically been through mentally. It's all the uh, inoculations that we receive when we go overseas. Right. You know, a lot of people forget about that, but we've had, we got stuff in us, especially for the Iraqi war that was never tested. Right. Uh, anthrax, for for example, is one. Right. So, Smallpox. Yeah. <laughs> this stuff was developed as something that keep us from getting it, but it hadn't been tested on anything. Right. So, you know, the children that are from the veterans of these foreign wars um, that have developed autism, um, weird cancers, like my son developed a weird cancer, and he's deceased now. And, mm, sorry um, to hear that. You know, we were just talking about that the other day. I felt like, because no one in his family, my, can't, my side of my family, had that type of cancer. Mm. And what made me think about it is when, I be, when they tested me to become a bone marrow recipient for them. Right. Then I thought about what I had gone through. You know, would I be a, the proper recipient for them? Right. You know what I mean? Right. But unfortunately, we didn't get that point because he succumbed to cancer. But... It was just something that, you know, we were thinking about just the other day, you know, was I the catalyst for it? Hmm. So. You see, and that, those are things that'll plague us. Yeah. It'll haunt us. It'll make us feel like crap for the soft air people. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. But I do appreciate your time and the time. Yeah, man, I appreciate your time even more. All right, and uh, let me wrap up here, man. I appreciate you coming on the show again. This is Checkpoint 6. For all you people that are going through things out there, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. You can reach out. The number again is one eight three three O N Y O U R number 6. All right, press option two for me, and you can schedule yourself to come on the show anytime. Talk about what you need to talk about. Get it off your chest. All right.
So y'all have a blessed night, man. And we love you guys. And this is Checkpoint 6. We're out of here. Ah, good evening, good evening, good evening. Here we go again. This is Broku the Great One here again at Checkpoint 6. And I got a special guest today, but uh, I'll let him introduce himself and what his job was. Go ahead, brother. Uh, good evening. Um, I, uh, my job was a 91 Bravo, which is a combat medic for the United States Army. Okay, okay. And uh, you mind to share with us what year... Did you um, enlist? I enlisted in uh, 88. In 88. Nice. See, the reason why I like uh, this particular interview, because uh, we have a different time zone from what I'm used to talking about. Normally, this time zone that we talk about is more Iraq and uh, the more recent wars. But with a guy with your stature, 88, I want you to tell the people, like, and even me, what was the Army like in 88? Uh, well, I, I officially went in in 89. I, I did delayed entry in 88. Okay. Uh, officially went in in 89. When, as soon as I got out of high school, I think I was home for maybe a week before I went to uh, basic training. Okay. Um, at that particular time... They had just uh, stopped the drill sergeants from actually putting their hands on you. Ooh. So they, uh, the drill sergeants were saying at that time that they couldn't touch you, but they could smoke you. Mm. And uh, they spent a lot of time <coughs> making us push Mother Earth. <laughs> push Mother Earth. Yeah. Uh, you know, because we got we to gotta always simplify. So let me break it down. Um Push Mother Earth. That means push-ups, 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 push-ups. You're going to get strong. Yeah. You're going to get strong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. So, I mean, um, for a combat medic, and around about what age did you join? Uh, delayed entry of 17, 18 when I went in. Okay, okay. So, combat medic, 18 years old, 1988. I mean, what was what was going on around those times? What type of... Uh, around that time, as soon as I went through basic training and AIT, which I did that in Fort Sam, mm-hmm. uh, my first duty station, I got to Germany December of 89. <sighs> uh, right after Operation White Fox. They were actually coming back from uh, training, Operation White Fox, when I got there. Mm. And... Um, that was in 89, and the storm kicked off. We left. It was October, August. It was October of 90 okay. when, when Desert Shield kicked off. Desert Shield kicked off. Yes, okay, I, okay. I tend to forget that um, Desert Shield, it wasn't a conflict, but it was what caused us to go. Okay. So when Desert Storm kicked off, then that becomes... You get double overseas pay for all we've been overseas, and then it then your status changes from shield to storm. Okay, okay. And um, so I forget to to do that. I I bundle it all up, and that's not the case. Okay, all right. 
So at that time, I mean, when you was going through there, was you uh, married? Was you single? I was single. Single? Uh, yeah. Okay, okay. I was pretty much in all male units until I got to Germany. And our unit was all male units, but the, the unit had females in it. For example, our M88s had female truckers. Uh, there were female medics at the hospital. Uh, I was put in the support unit, so you know how you know, when you get into right. the support. So. Yeah. There in Germany was all males. Okay, okay. I mean, and I could just imagine, like, I was there in 2001, 2002. What was the market right. exchange rate then? Oh, uh, man, they had just moved out the dinars and oh, and flipped okay. over the euros. Okay. So, therefore, uh, their money was higher than ours now. You know, and I'd hear all the stories of the guys who's there before with the, the with the dinars. Or they're like, "Hey man, stuff is cheap. You can buy stores. You can buy this." I was like, yeah. "Really?" You know. So, um, I know in Germany. What was the mark rate? The mark? No, the marks was gone. Mark for Germany? Yeah, oh, it was okay. all euros. Yeah. The whole of Europe. Wow. Yeah. Was, wow. Yeah, that was gone. So yeah, we were still dealing with marks. <laughs> y'all yeah. enjoyed it. Y'all yeah. enjoyed it. You know, but um, like I know in Germany, man, when when I was there, you had uh, missions to Kosovo, you had missions to Bosnia, Czechoslovakia, yeah, stuff yeah. like that. I mean, did you go on any of those missions right there? Um, there was uh, some activity there while while I was stationed there. Okay. Okay. You want to elaborate, or it's too deep for you? <laughs> it's not too deep. It's just that we there was some activity when we were there. Okay, okay. I mean, we can understand that, but you know, like, uh, so after that, I mean, most of your time in the military was it after the Desert Shield stuff? Desert Storm. Well, in Desert Storm, you yeah. endured that too, yeah. as a combat medic. I mean, what type of things can you express that you've seen or dealt well, with? Well, I, I can say I um, experienced the worst that one man can do to another. And regardless of, uh, there's always going to be wars as long as we're human beings and we have different ideas and different agendas, different ideologies. There's always going to be wars because of that. But um, it is the worst that one man can do to another. You can you take up arms against another human being? Right. It is the worst. And um, at the level of a conflict, um, these other countries like Iran and Iraq have been doing it for over a thousand years. You know, this is something they're used to. Um, but it is impeccably the worst one man, worst thing that one man can do to another is bring up arms to him. Right. And witnessing that at the level that I did being, I think I was 19 years old at that time. It was 90 years. I was 19. Mm-hmm. Um, it was mind-blowing. It was like watching TV. It didn't even seem real. As you watch it, it didn't even seem real. Right. Uh, we're the, the first, the beginning of the war when they took to the air, they were doing the bombardments. Right. Um you're there in a tent and the ground is just vibrating and shaking and just vib- just vibrating. And, and because, you know, we pounded them. We pounded right. them day and night. So they, right. didn't, they didn't get a break. And, uh, but being in a tent, being, you know, 19 years old, 
and the ground is shaking and shaking because of what we're doing. You don't know. Um, this you've never been anything like this at this level, right? You know. So uh, one of the biggest things that I, I myself I say I can say that I was concerned, worried about is had I learned enough to save a life. Mm. And that was my concern. You know. Okay. Constantly going over my training. Because now it's for real. It's not yeah, just training. Not so training. now you got to put it into action. Put into action. Yeah. So, yeah, after the bombardment, when we started moving, and then, you know, we moved three, four days time with no sleep and no rest, that was uh, mental and physically ta- taxing on us. You're already scared. Right. You know what I mean? And that takes a lot out of you. That wears your body down because you've never been through anything like this before. Right. And then on top of that, I have to save a life. So right. I'm in this condition, dealing with this and having to save a life. So that was my biggest, my biggest concern is had I learned enough, will I do enough to save a life? Mm. and uh, make the right decision to save life. So that was my biggest concern. And, and that was, if I had to say I was worried about, um, that's what I was worried about. It was too late to, um, and, and most people, including yourself, can tell you that when you get there, you're not concerned about dying because it's too late for that. Right. You know, you've already there. Right. So you're going to do what you got to do to do your job. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And for, unfortunately for me, which fortunately for me, mine was saving a life. Right. So I had to use everything that the military taught me, but I'm coming out of basic training and come right out of AIT into a conflict. Right. So right. I didn't have time to sit, do additional training. Right. You right. Know, go through more. More think, simulations right. and everything like that. Right. To, to, to be able to do this with my eyes closed, like you right. do with M16, you know, break it down and put it together. Right. So that was my biggest concern. And then once it kicked off and we started receiving patients, you just started going through it and start doing it without any thought because you've been trained. Mm. So, mm. but that was my biggest concern. So like, would you, do you think at any time when y'all was out there, it was a, a critical time? Like, let's say a day where it felt like it wasn't going to end. You just had endless patience coming in, and you're like, when is this going to stop? Yeah, there, was multiple, there was multiple days. Uh, uh, I don't know. Um, well, you know, everybody back home, they were getting the news about 24,000 people were giving up and stuff like that. Um, we dealt with a lot of refugees coming in. Right. Um, so we had am- ambulatory patients, patients that were walking. Okay. Um, but I was attached to third ID, which was frontline, mm-hmm. and um, we was receiving patients. I, if to the ratio of, you know, we also take care of the, the Iraqi right. Iraqis. You know, right. my patient could be American or or enemy. Iraqi. Yeah. And I took care of both. I saw a lot of Iraqi patients, and we took care of a lot of them that came through with various. Different wounds, majority of them gunshot, of course. Right. Um, burns, uh, dismemberments, uh, due to, to due to arms fire. Right. Um, a lot of patients. Then, of course, we saw uh, things that happened. Most of it was friendly fire. Okay. Okay. Most of we went so what I'm gonna uh, gonna attempt to do now is <clears throat> see if we could compare the times. Right. So when I was there. The one thing I noticed was uh, the lack of police force, uh, the lack of fire brigade, the lack of uh, ambulatory people. I mean, most they had was uh, coroners, people who come take the body. That's it. Yeah, we had, 
uh, a Nash, Army National uh, National Guard unit, that had MP unit, mm-hmm. uh, that showed up to do security, but they, I think I saw them one day or two days, and they were gone. Um, I didn't see uh, much of uh, security forces. They may have had them out at a further distance than you know that okay. we were aware of, because we were inside the. Uh, y'all, you stayed on the fob for for pretty much. Yeah, we were inside the spearhead. You know, the top, of the, right after Marines. Yeah, third ID was back there behind them. Okay, and um, that's how we moved. Okay, okay. So, so um, after, let's say, after you guys came back, I mean, what was it like? Um, like the real the the. It was a, the reunite, the re, the reuniting of family. What was that like? We uh, when it was over, and um, we were because we were stationed in Germany, we were shipped back to Germany. Right. Uh, we for for those soldiers who were not married. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, first of all, you know they put us all in a hangar, and they had a psychologist in there with a pamphlet. Right. And uh, the night before we got on the plane, they said, hey, uh, we just need to let you guys know that you're going back. Your wives, girlfriends, or boyfriends may have been with somebody else. You can't hurt them or kill them. If you feel like you need some help, you can't handle it. They passed out a pamphlet and said, call this number. Is there any questions? Anything anybody want to talk about? Hmm. And that was it. And then the next day we got on the plane and uh, down at the port there in Kuwait. And uh, we got back. For our single soldiers, because, you know, we're quarantined for how long? How long did quarantine us after? I can't remember. Probably about 14, probably about 14 days, oh, two more weeks. Than that. We yeah. yeah, because they didn't know. You know, it's the first oh. time. Yeah, yeah, So yeah, we yeah, were yeah. 30 days, if I'm 30, 60 days, something like that, quarantine before we left. It was a significant amount of time. Oh, okay, before so, y'all can go back yeah, to your family. before we could go come back stateside. So okay. we quarantined us here in Germany, and... Um, we uh, we got here, you know, it was after, I guess, they had parades and stuff like that we heard about. We mm-hmm. didn't see any of that. You know, we got back. There was just us and a bus. And we got back. They dropped us off in the quad. And uh, we walked up to our room. And um, it was like, you know, it's like we just got back from a run. You know what I mean? PT. <laughs> That's... It was just like that. So, Oh, man. I'm laughing, but... I'm laughing you in disbelief I mean? for yeah. real, though. Like, yeah. we you know what I'm back. saying? It was like we all walked to our rooms. It was quiet. Uh, nobody said anything. We dropped off our bags. And nobody knew what to do with themselves. There was a uh, command wasn't there. You know, we just got back. We were still in uniform. Everybody just sitting around and staring at the wall. You know, nobody knew what to do with themselves. Because, you know, in the military, we're always doing something. Right. You know, PT every morning after PT, some kind of training after some kind of training, another formation. You know, we have a formation for a formation. Right. That formation does, we're going to have a four o'clock formation. <laughs> right. you know, so, Formations yeah, all day. Yeah. All day. There's always something going on. Right. So, you know, after this, it was dead silence. It was, it was dead. It was like we're dead in the water. Nothing. Oh. And, um, you know, there were some incidents uh, that happened. I don't know if um, I'm okay to talk about them, you know, due to the families. I mean, yeah, no, no name calling. I mean, we're not judging, but yeah. we know, we some, know when he come back from war, yeah, uh, suicides, and yeah, stuff like that. yeah, you know, and and um, 
Well, with the with the suicides, you know, stuff get tough. Yeah. Especially when you go down range, and you come back, yeah. uh, your support channel, who you thought was holding you down in the back, yeah. was doing something else. Yeah. Right. And either that, they're lost because you know they they, you know, may have been through. There's not that many people actually go through war, so right. there's a lot of people that get happy and geared up for it because combat time means rank. Right. You know, especially for the higher ups. So. I don't know. We were, we were it was dead. It's nothing. It was nothing going on. Nobody knew how to think, how to feel. Uh, mm. This is this is not like after uh, training. You know, you're in Germany, so you know Vilsack, Hornsfeld. Right. We, right, we right. All, we all went oh, yeah. training there. Oh yeah. So it was, it was not like they're coming back after that because we got back before our vehicles did. So there wasn't anything to clean. Right. As so, you know, that'll be the next thing. Right. So then you waited, PMCS, vehicles come back, and then you started cleaning. Yes, it's cleaning and get the vehicles. Because they, so, they need you to have something to do. So, like, how long after uh, Desert Storm did you get out? Um, well, uh, if I could back up a little bit, once our quarantine lifted, I was able to come back home. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, I did, my mom kept saying that. I wasn't the same person I was, but I didn't see it. You know, I'm not right. on the outside, so I'm not doing the self-assessment. She right. kept saying that, but, you know, I mean, I, I expect after something like that, who will be the same as it was when it went in. Right. So I didn't really take it to any, you know, went in one ear and went out the other. I didn't okay. really take it. Took it with a grain of salt, yeah. right? Yeah. So, so I it mean, was strange when I came home because, you know, you see people, and it's just like people that go in the military do a state of military without conflict and come home and you got people still doing the same thing. You don't. Right. It's hard to get in with them people because they're doing the same thing. Right. And you know see, I mean? and the thing is, like, um, I feel like if you go to war with a bunch of guys and then you all come back to garrison, That's all different. of all of you are going to look at each other like you're doing the same thing, like everything yeah. is normal. Yeah. But to the folks, like your mom, like... Brothers, old sisters, friends old like friends, yeah. they'll look at you and like, something's off. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? But we won't take that into a court, not till uh, later on. Right. When when we actually finished. Right. When we actually with the military. Yeah, that right? was a problem. So now, like, you did the Vilsec thing, you, you, got, you got back to Germany, quarantined, and then y'all came back to the States. Yes. Okay, so when you got back to the States... Uh, how long did you stay in after that? Um, uh, I PCS from Germany to Fort Stewart in mm-hmm. Georgia, and uh, got out in '92. Okay, okay. So when you got out, they offered an early out, and I took the early out because okay. I, I had reenlisted. Mm. And um, but they were looked, they were cutting the uh, MOSs the right. They were they yeah, were changing up. Yeah. Cause and I know I didn't, I didn't meet the qualifications for it, so okay. I had to take a. I had was E E four promotable, mm-hmm. or E five at that time, and I had to take a bus to get out because okay. I couldn't get out. They told me I didn't meet the qualifications, mm. but I told them that I really wanted to, and they told me that's the only way I can get out. Mm. Bus down E one if you like, just get me out. Wow. Yeah, I really want to go. It was up. Uh, Hurricane Andrew was going on at that time. Wow. And my unit had been, we'd, we were down in Miami. 
helping people. And the crazy thing about it is the people that we were helping, my family was among the people that we were helping uh, wow. with the hurricane. So I'm down there and then I'm running into cousins and stuff like that. I'm in uniform. Right. And we're helping them get to housing and stuff like that. So right. can you imagine that? You're activated for a hurricane, but this is your people. Right, you're helping yeah. actual family yeah, members. Yeah, family members. Right, so, so they're looking really at you at work. Yeah, no, that man. really motivated me to want to... Right, do yeah. more, right? You get know? out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Motivated you to get out yeah, of here really faster, motivated. right? Because I need to help my family. I right. need to spend my time helping my family get... Okay, okay, that's understandable. And I mean, you got out, and I mean... Uh, what was your process like as far as once once you got out, transitioning to a civilian? What was um, that like? It was strange. Uh, you know, you you are left to your own devices. You when you get out, you go home. Right. Uh, so I'm home with my duffel bag and my some of the uniforms and you know some of the clothes I had until my home goes shipped. My stuff shipped from Germany and. Um, Strange, you're, you're, you know, uh, you're still waking up at five thirty, six in the morning because, you know, PT is in your head. Right. PT, but you know you're not going to do it because one of the first things you tell yourself is, I'm not getting up early again. Right, I'm you, done with this shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you get up anyway. You know, right. Because your body that's, is Again, there. that's what I, yeah. I, I tried to explain to people. I had an earlier uh, segment where I was talking about... Um, how our patterns of sleep and how much sleep we got and, and the way we were sleeping, you know, uh, I was a cook, so it was different for me. I was up at uh, 3.30 in the morning. Yeah, yeah. I probably lay down at 7 at yeah. night and whatever the case may be, yeah. right? So when I came home, it was the same thing. Like, I still jump up at 3.30, ready to go, and then turn around like, wait a minute. Because what people well, don't understand this is... Nonsense. But people don't understand about you guys. And the reason why I know is because we work hand in hand when we had to go to field and set up. Right. <laughs> uh, and then on top of that, you guys are our best friends. That's who right. we make sure. There's two people, the mechanics and the cooks. You oh, you, sure you got to friends. make sure you're good with the cooks, But baby. what people don't understand about you guys is you have prep. Right. And so cooking time, the cooking and serving. The cooking time is a significant amount of time. The serving is a very small amount of time. A very small amount of what you guys do. Right. It's a serving. Right. Because once breakfast, you're already prepping for lunch. And then once lunch comes in, you're already prepping for dinner. Exactly. People don't know that. People that don't understand how things work, especially at different departments, uh, they're going to look at us like, okay, we got the cooks over there. Have them do guard duty. You know what I mean? They right. don't understand how it works. Right. And, and, and cooks had to do guard duty. Yeah. Even though Medics they were cooks. Yeah. Medics did it. Yeah. You know, everybody had to play their part. Yeah. Right? Because we're so, all soldiers first. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, again, um, let's let's try to explain the, the getting out process. Like, out you, had process. To, you had to turn in all the stuff that the military gave the you. And, and if you didn't have it. They would charge you. Yeah, they said they're going to take it out of any monies that you may receive that you're getting out. Oh, man, I think that's so horrible. But, hey, that's how it is, you know. Yeah. Uh, so you got home, and um, when you got home, like, how long did it take you to actually say, hey, I got to get up and go get a job, or I got to um, try to get some type of help? 
when I when I got home, I uh, got home, went to my father's house first. Right. And um, I was there, and uh, you know, your father's always gonna try to, you know, they don't want to see you sitting around after you don't, you know, been in the military, been in anything like that. You come home, they looking for you to be working. Right. So. Um, I had gotten some, signed up with a temp agency, gotten a couple of temp jobs I did, and got sick on one of them. Mm. Uh, one of the jobs I was doing was uh, down in Florida, uh, we have to treat telephone poles. Oh, okay. Uh, because you know the ground is three, four feet down, is water. Right, So you would right. have to dig down a foot down, put pitch on it, mm-hmm. put a piece of paper on it, uh, drill into this foot to keep bugs and stuff from eating the wood. And I did that while we were in a, certain area and something hit my my sinuses so that was the very first time I went to the VA when I got out and when I got to the VA um, mm. they told me uh, they treated me for my sinuses but they started asking me a bunch of questions about uh, health care and what I signed up and stuff like that I didn't know what they were talking about right so they sent me down to see some man and this guy told me that I was um, I had a 10% disability because I had c- done combat. Okay. And um, I said, well, what does I do? He said, it's just your rating because uh, you were in combat. It's 10%. <laughs> so wait, so wait, wait, wait. You mean to tell me you got out the army, mm-hmm. went home, mm-hmm. and didn't even think about the VA until... You got that. And I didn't have insurance. So the only thought that came up, nobody had told me about going to the VA. No one told me. No one told me that I had VA access. So, so, and guess so who told check me, this out. Guess who told me to go to VA? My mother. So now I'm going to reiterate this for everybody to hear. I'm going to say it again because you know why? This is one of the most important points. And this is why I asked this one question. When you was getting out, nobody told you about that VA? Nobody told me to go register. But if the only thing they told me to do was go take my DD-214 to the city I live in and get a copy of it made, certified, and that was it. <laughs> so I had never done anything. Never. The only thing pushed me to the VA was my mother. They told She told me to go down there because uh, I was sick. And of course, I didn't have insurance because I wasn't working. Right. Go down to the VA and they'll see you. And that's what prompted me to go down to the VA. So but walk- still, at that point, <laughs> I don't know that I can come back. Um, I right. don't know. So walk me, walk me, walk me through this journey, cause, cause man, like a lot of people is going through this, even right now. You'd be surprised that from your time, we're talking about from '88 on forward, and that still hasn't changed. Because I just talked to two vets prior to you, and they said the same exact thing, that they did not know that they can go to the VA no. when they got out. Nobody told them. No, there was wasn't a conversation. There wasn't any paperwork that states that you can go here for health care or to go register for health care. There was nothing. When they let me out, they let me out and let me go home. So there was no talk about it. I said, my mother is the only reason why I went. And when I went, then even when I went in and got treated, 
they nobody at the VA said, hey, anything else, you come back to the VA, stuff like this. They said, make a call. If these meds we gave you, you're feeling sick or ill or something happened, give us a call back. So even after that, there isn't anything or anyone that says you have health care. You can come up here and be treated or seen if you have any problems. Like I said, oh. the only thing that they did was send me to a guy, and this guy told me that I was 10%. Um, but he didn't tell me what I could do with it. He didn't tell me. He said I got 10% because I was combat-related, and he didn't explain to me anything. So I didn't follow up with him after I left the VA. Uh, my biggest thing was trying to find it. Uh, excuse me, trying to find a job, and I went through multiple, just one endless job to the next, trying to fit in. So. What's, what's your rating like today? Uh, today, I'm 100% today. <laughs> and, I, and I got my rating late. I probably could have been... Uh, when I first found out about uh, compensation and actually getting help was in 2010. And... From... Wait. Hold on. From the 19s... To 2010... 2010 is when you found out that I needed help and I probably should be getting help. And then you could actually, you know, there's also compensation claim that you can get for your, you know, stuff that you've been dealing with. But still at that point, I didn't even know um, what it does, what, what is it does, the full extent. Yeah. What what's the purpose? What's behind it? Because I went to the Veteran Affairs Office in Phoenix and they gave me a sheet of paper, you know, one of those veteran docs. Mm-hmm. And, well, actually, it was like three or four pieces. And I had to fill front and back as much information I can and turn it in. And that was my claim. Mm. And I got I got a phone call one day. And a young lady got on the phone and asked me, did I put in a pension claim? I know I didn't retire, so I told her no. She said, thank you, and hung up. So... Mm. I didn't know that she was calling for the compensation and pension. She asked me, did I put in a pension claim? And my understanding of pension claim is retirement. Right. You know, you get right. a pension from retiring from a, a job. Right. right. So when she called me, did you put in a pension claim? I said, a pension claim with who? She said, oh, this is Veteran Affairs. I said, no. She said, okay, thank you. And hung up. Then asked me any other further questions. And that's the first time that, that my paperwork went in and it was denied. And I didn't know, you know, what it was or why it was. What, you, what else you and had I'm still do. waiting on this claim. Okay. So I had hooked up with the veteran of foreign, the foreign legion. Mm-hmm. And I sat down with a lady and she, uh, someone else had told me, another vet. Right. Had told me that they were with the foreign legion. You need to go in here. You need to see, gave me this lady's name. And I sat down with her. She kept saying, oh, my God. Oh my God, you could have did this. Oh my God, you didn't fill out such and such. Oh my God, you didn't do this. This is where you could have been. She says, look, I'm going to help you fill this out. Uh, This is what I need from you. And I gave her what she needed. Uh, Sat down in the office with her and she asked me tons of questions as she was filling out my initial claim, my secondary claim. Right. Of course, this is after the, after, you know, you only got what, 12 months before you can go in and, um, Resubmit. Yeah, resubmit okay. because you'll have if if you 
do it within the 12 month period, of course you get back paid to 2010. So this was about two years after that. Right. She kept saying, oh my God. So she filled it out, told me, um, she submitted everything. Okay. And I didn't hear anything and know nothing about it. It took them about a year and a half to get back with me. And uh, when it happened, I had signed up for the VASH program, the Veteran Homeless Program, because I was homeless at the time. Okay. And I had signed up for the VASH program. And the day that I got my apartment is the day that that claim came through. And I got approved. Oh. And it was just out of the blue. Okay. You know, it was back before they were doing oh. see, I guess, I guess they did a CEP exam. I just don't remember much of it. So, okay. So what was some of the, I guess I want to say diagnosis they came up with? Uh, PTSD, severe. Okay. Um, depression, severe depression, uh, severe anxiety, um, Um, I'd have to look at my... Look at your file. Yeah. Yeah. See what they came that up Medical with. doubt. Okay. But that's some so, of the things they came like up with. So, like, PTSD, uh, depression, anxiety, all severe. So, your, for, your visits, like, I know that you go in there, like me. I didn't have severe, but... When I went in and they said, uh, oh, you have a uh, chronic PTSD. That's where they started. Chronic PTSD. I mean, I was offered seven medications just off that. Mm -hmm. So you were severe. What was your medical cabinet like? Um, at a minimum of uh, about 14 different meds for various stuff. Prescriptions. Yeah. So you had 14 prescriptions. And what's it? What's what's that number to now, or is are you still at fourteen, or you um, got less? I'm down to. Well, I'm taking risp risperdone, trazodone, uh, codone, codeine, something. All these are antipsychotic. Right. Um, Meds. Yeah, meds. Okay. And the risperdone and the CONIDOAA and something. Those two are uh, for PTSD, for nightmares, and the trazodone is for sleeping and anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I have something else for anxiety as well. Mm. So I'm down to about. How many meds I'm down to? About maybe five, I think. I'm down to about about five. five. But they're pretty. They're, Max okay. dosage is strong. No, they're not max, but okay. they, yeah, they're stronger than what I was taking before. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, <clears throat> that's one of the things we like uh, talking about at Checkpoint 6, man, because uh, a lot of military folks, we come back, and when we get these diagnoses, they always try to put us on some type of pill or uh, something of that nature. I mean... I don't know. You've been on these pills for a while now. What are your, what are your feelings, and 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 are you, are you looking for other treatments or? 
Are you just going to stick with this if we're, it's... We're always looking for other treatments because, um, you know, as convoluted as your mind is, you know, taking all these meds and foggy all the time, you don't like living that way. You're a human being. Your body wasn't designed to do that. Right. You know, regardless of what they say, regardless of how depressed I'm not stupid. Right. So we're always looking for, and, you know, thank God for my wife, um, we're always looking for alternative treatments to kind of clear your head, to uh, hang, to to handle the anger uh, right. issues. Um, we're always looking for something uh, more, um, something that your body can actually handle. Because, you know, we believe that taking this stuff here is going to deteriorate our brain cells in our body, mm-hmm. you know, at some point, or or if we don't, you know, develop a weird cancer. So we know that all this stuff, you know, is isn't good for us. Kidneys, uh, you you, uh, you know, they don't understand why a lot of vets have kidney failure. Oh. Well, this stuff here, the liver between the liver and the kidneys, have to filter all this crap out. And those pills, what holds them together? I'm a medic. So what holds the pills together is a binding material that they don't talk about. That's in those pills that your body has to process through. That's not passed as waste. So it doesn't leave your body. It's it's a binding material. So when you really research the stuff that we're taking, where does that go? Because it doesn't pass. So? So, yes, we always look for alternative means. And, you know, you hear about a lot of stuff. And cannabis is one of the largest ones out there. Uh, CBD oil. Um, they've been treating children that have seizures with CBD oil, and it's been very effective. Right. Um, and a lot of states, they have uh, approved uh, CBD oil for veterans because it's, they have proved it to be, it has worked for uh, PTSD, nightmares, anxiety, um, and things of that nature. So we are, we keep hearing that the VA has it approved, but they haven't made any other moves as far as here in the state of Georgia. Hmm. So you're open to the... Uh to the cannabis treatment, and, and I'm glad to hear that because uh, I'm a cannabis connoisseur myself. I, uh, I'd rather that than the um, pills myself because um, the difference between myself and you, and this is where I always try to draw a difference with veterans, is some veterans started the, um, the pill treatment after they got out. But some veterans are on those pills while they're in. Right. So you hear the dangers of these pills and with the people that's out. So don't you think that the people that's in don't even have a fighting chance because they're on the pills while they're doing these missions, while they're still in doing whatever. Yeah, in, in my opinion, these these people are doomed to fail uh, medically. Um, they'll be receiving a, a mental health, again, in my opinion, they're receiving a mental health discharge because they're not going to be able to function like the military needs them to. And if they get a, and if they end up getting kicked out, then they won't even get benefits. And so, that's, and, and, and that's crazy because if they're getting kicked out because of these uh, opioids or whatever prescription drugs they're on that's prescribed by the military, mm-hmm. like, what is that? But you, when you're on it, you don't know 
to fight it. You don't know to do anything because your your mind's already <laughs> being fogged by the medication. Mm. Uh, so you get kicked out. You know you got kicked out for a disciplinary reason, and you're just out. So you do nothing with yourself except for try to try to be a functioning part of society. Mm. So mm. you become, you know, you're one of the ones like a, a slip between the cracks. And there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of them that uh, slip between the cracks. I think there's uh, close to, what, 30,000 homeless veterans in uh, L.A.? That's just L.A. alone. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's uh, that's terrible. And here at uh, Checkpoint 6, man, we, uh, we've been trying to petition to even the governor of New York City. To help us uh, start our little farm, we want to start growing and help the cannabis industry as far as make a change within the VA. And even if we can get not just the government, but I won't say the government, but the politicians to actually listen to the cries of veterans and do something. You know what I'm saying? Something more than what is actually being done right now. So if we can get that type of change to a better, cleaner, healthier way to treat our veterans. I mean, you also, after you've done your thing and you got your 100% now, you're a guy that also turns around and try to help other veterans as well. Tell us about some of those people that you have to try to help. You don't have to call names, of course. But. Yeah. Um, uh, each and every one of those veterans that, that, you know, each one teach one, that's what we do. Right. Um, uh, in our feeble attempts to try to help one another, we, uh, we're thankful for the VA forums that have developed on uh, Facebook. Right. Uh, we've learned a lot from, from that. Each, each and every time a veteran learns something, um, either as a treatment or a compensation of some sort, uh, uh, how to combat homelessness, uh, drug addiction, anything, you know, they post it online. So we're able to, and, you know, podcasts like this, we learn from one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and through that, I've been able to lead a lot of veterans to, you know, Facebook pages and, right. and the ones that, you know, from things that I have learned have helped them with their claims as best I can. Okay. And um, uh, certain uh, attorneys that help veterans. Right, 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 right. Well, hey, I know you're a busy man. We all busy. Um, I want to thank you for coming on the show tonight. We're going to wrap up right here. I mean, we could stay on this topic forever. Yeah. You know, because... um, it's all mental health, right? And uh, the goal is to actually bring some sort of or more awareness to what's going on with the veterans. And I mean, of course, this is not something that's only plaguing veterans because right now, if we look at the whole country, man, I think mental health is a big issue. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. uh, even down to, um, I read an article where uh, even this COVID-19 stuff is uh, leaving at least 20 to 30% brain damage. 
Mm. And the people that are contractors. Mm. Yeah, this is pretty serious. But, you know, like you said, it's not just the veterans. The veterans' families are also affected. Exactly. Uh, you know, when they're dealing with uh, veterans and mental health and... Wives, uh, kids. Wives, the children that, you know, because the it's not just uh, what we've physically been through mentally. It's all the uh, inoculations that we receive when we go overseas. Right. You know, a lot of people forget about that, but we've had, we got stuff in us, especially for the Iraqi war that was never tested. Right. Uh, anthrax, for for example, it's one. Right. So, Smallpox. Yeah. <laughs> this stuff was developed as something that keeps us from getting it, but it hadn't been tested on anything. Right. So, you know, the children that are from the veterans of these foreign wars um, that have developed autism, um, weird cancers, like my son developed a weird cancer, and he's deceased now. And, Man, sorry um, to hear that. You know, we were just talking about that the other day. I felt like, because no one in his family, or my can't, my side of my family, had that type of cancer. Mm. And what made me think about it is when I be when they tested me to become a bone marrow recipient for them. Right. Then I thought about what I had gone through. You know, would I be a, the proper recipient for them? Right. You know what I mean? Right. But unfortunately, we didn't get that point because he succumbed to cancer. But it was just something that, you know, we were thinking about just the other day, you know, was I the catalyst for it? Hmm. So. You see, and that, those are things that'll plague us. Yeah. It'll haunt us. It'll make us feel like crap for the yeah, no, soft air people. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. <sighs> But I do appreciate your time and the time. Yeah, man. I appreciate your time even more. All right. And uh, let me wrap up here, man. I appreciate you coming on the show again. This is Checkpoint 6. For all you people that are going through things out there, don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. You can reach out. The number again is one eight three three O N Y O U R number 6. All right, press option two for me, and you can schedule yourself to come on the show anytime. Talk about what you need to talk about. Get it off your chest. All right, so y'all have a blessed night, man, and we love you guys, and this is Checkpoint 6. We're out of here.